Open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 28. I can't believe it, but we're wrapping up our series in the book of Acts. This has been quite a ride. It's been just a lot of fun to walk through the book of Acts. From the start, we've talked about the book of Acts as um, the book of the Acts of Jesus through his first followers. And we've been learning from first followers of Jesus what it means to follow him here and now. And, and I don't know about you, but every so often I need to pause and I need to ask myself what following Jesus is all about. And, and as we come to the end of the book of Acts, that's exactly what it answers. What is this all about? Who is this for? And what are we supposed to do about it? And so with refreshing honesty, Acts 28, it recenters us on what matters most and it boldly reminds us that we were never meant to be merely spectators of this story. And so my prayer has been for us as a church as we, we wrap up this amazing book that, that this chapter, the remaining verses that we're reading here this morning would help recenter us on what matters most and then it would remind us that we were never meant to be merely spectators of this story. It's been my prayer. And so let's pray that now. Father, God, as we engage your holy word, would you help just recenter us on what matters most? As we ask that question, what is this all about again? Who is this for? What are we supposed to do about it? That you'd recenter us on what matters most and that you would boldly, kindly, graciously remind us that we were never meant to be merely spectators of this story that we've been reading about. Help us, Lord, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, three things uh, I pray we see um, as we walk through Acts 28. First, what is this about again? Uh, Second, who is this for? And then third, what are we supposed to do about it? Three questions that we're asking. So let's read in Acts 28, beginning in verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. So Paul called together the local leaders of the Jews. He's in Rome, finally. He's in Rome. He made it. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you, but we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers, in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. 
The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, and their eyes they have closed, lest, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What is this about again? What is this all about? Paul was allowed to stay by himself along with a soldier that he was obviously apparently chained to and guarded him. He most likely lived in a lower income apartment style dwelling. He paid for it uh, with his own money that he had either saved or funds that came from churches uh, that supported him. In verse 17, we see Paul doesn't waste any time but calls the local Jewish leaders uh, to his place and He would have gone to the synagogue. That was his custom. And we've seen that again and again as he enters city after city. He goes to the local synagogue to proclaim Christ from the scriptures. But right now he's under house arrest. And so he gathers the local Jewish leaders. He explains the situation. He explains why he is in Rome, how it happened. And that in light of the objections and accusations of the Jewish leaders, he had to make this appeal to Caesar. And in verse 20... It says, I've asked to see you and speak with you since it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. This is why I'm here is what he's saying. This is what it's all about. This is about the hope of Israel, which is the promise of a Messiah, an anointed one, a deliverer, the anointed one of God. This is about Jesus and the hope that is found in him is what he's saying. I'm wearing these chains, he's saying, because I believe what the law and the prophets have spoken. He's basically saying, listen, I haven't gone rogue. I've not dismissed our ancient traditions or promises, not at all. This is about fulfillment. And so just like you, I've I've lived in faithful anticipation of God's promise of a Messiah, this expectation that God would come through on his promise. And this Jesus is God's son, He is the anointed one, and he has ushered in the kingdom that we've been waiting for. That is what he's saying when he's saying that he is there because of the hope of Israel. Now, the Jewish leaders in Rome hadn't heard a thing about Paul or his case. Uh, They they had only heard of the sect or this this faction, this off-branch that they considered maybe even a cult or a group these, these followers of the way, these followers of Jesus. And, and all they had heard about this, this group was that it was spoken against everywhere they go. People spoke against this group. And so here is Paul, and he's, he's claiming to be a, a leader in that group. And so they're extremely curious. They want to hear his views. They compare calendars. They set up a time to meet And when the day came, they gathered in great numbers there in his apartment. Word got out. Paul's apartment was packed. I'm I'm just thinking shoulder to shoulder. They're trying to find a seat. Um, Not everyone gets the couch. Um, But from 
morning until evening, verse 23, from morning till evening, he expounded to them. Now, what did he do from morning until evening? It says two things. He was testifying to the kingdom of God, and he is trying to convince them about Jesus from the law and the prophets. And so we have to remind ourselves of the first question we asked, what is this all about? This is what it's all about. The hope of Israel, the promise of a Messiah fulfilled in Jesus, and this is what it's all about, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince those who are gathered about Jesus, but not out of thin air, but from the law and the prophets. This is what it's about. This is the mission. This is the message of first followers of Jesus. And it's been the message and the mission of followers of Jesus ever since. Paul does what he's been doing everywhere. He holds up the unchanging message about Jesus. He testifies to the kingdom of God and its arrival in Jesus. So remember, the kingdom of God was Jesus's message. It was Jesus's message, and it should be ours as well. And I'm not talking about a political kingdom or one built on military might. I'm not talking about this nationalistic pride that we should carry around for our particular nation. No, it is the present, the kingdom of God is the present and active rule of King Jesus. His rule means that old powers are out. Old powers are out. They're defeated. Jesus preached, this is what he preached, the kingdom of God is near. It's at hand, right here. So repent and believe the good news. That, that was Jesus' message in a nutshell. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's, it's here. Repent and believe the good news. The good news, why would this proclamation of a new kingdom be good news to those that Jesus is preaching to? Why is the message of a kingdom good news to anybody that we preach it to? Well, wherever there's a kingdom, there's a king. Jesus comes on the scene, and he understands who he is. He knows who he is. He's the king. He's the anointed one of God. He's the Messiah. He's the deliverer. And this is bigger than uh, freedom or, or finding deliverance from oppression to Rome. This is about deliverance out of sin and shame and darkness, uh, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the sun. And so he's proclaiming the good news of deliverance the good news of healing, the good news of freedom. And so as we speak of Jesus to others, church, as we speak of Jesus to others here in the city of St. Pete, oftentimes, I, I'm, I'm, as I explain the truth of the kingdom to others, uh, there's a pause that has to go on uh, in, in, in talking about the kingdom because oftentimes people don't see the need for deliverance. They don't see the need for freedom or the need for healing. The need to be set free from what? And so we have to take time to explain what this is really about. This is about lives that are transformed, lives that are reconciled to God, lives that are made new. The proclamation of the kingdom is the proclamation of a new day, a day of freedom, a day of deliverance, a day of salvation. And Jesus, he describes the kingdom in a lot of different ways, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He talks of it uh, in, in, in both ways. The kingdom of heaven is like... And you can look at all these different parables that Jesus taught. Um, but I love this one. 
The kingdom that you find in, in Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found buried treasure in a field. And, 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 and as he went out and he sold everything he had so he could purchase the field that he found the treasure in so that he could have the treasure. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like this man who sold everything that he could have the treasure. And so we're learning something of the kingdom with every parable that Jesus shares. What do we learn there? The kingdom living under the rule and reign of Jesus, the good and gracious and just rule of Jesus is good. It's like a treasure, should be like a treasure that we're willing to abandon everything so that we can have. The kingdom was being proclaimed by Paul. Paul taught from morning until evening. Now you thought a 35 minute sermon was long, but I'm sure there was much debate going on, much discussion along the way. I don't think it was straight monologue. Uh, But he invited those who were gathered to see for themselves God's unfolding plan of redemption from the scriptures, from the law and the prophets, from Genesis to Malachi. I'm sure he, he spoke of the promises that were given to Abraham. He spoke of the deliverance that was brought to Israel through Moses. He spoke of the throne of David and the promise uh, to David that he would always have uh, someone on his throne. Who? How could there be an eternal throne given to David only through the true son of David? Only only through Jesus. And then, of course, he expounded on the teachings of Jesus. And it's interesting to me that one of the first things that Jesus does after his resurrection was appear to the disciples and open their hearts and minds to what the scriptures say about him. In Luke 24, verses 44 through 45, it says these, uh, Jesus appears to the disciples after his, he, he, he's raised to life. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Everything written about me must be fulfilled, Jesus is saying. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Beautiful. So from the start, first followers of Jesus have taken people by the hand and helped others see that this Bible that we have is one beautiful story of redemption. It's it's more of a library filled with various genres, but it's one story telling us of this amazing uh, rescue plan of God and his love for us through his son. And the Old Testament just pointing to this promise of, of a redeemer that will come in all of its various ways and complicated ways at times. In the New Testament, looking back and seeing what God has fulfilled in Christ and holding it high and inviting others to see it as well. Are we inviting people into this story of God's love that's been going on since creation, that he's been writing since creation? So we have to pause and say, what is this about again? I have to do this from time to time. I don't know about you. What is this about again? What is this about again? This isn't about building a name for ourselves. This isn't about making sure we're always right, we're always heard, and even that we're always understood. This isn't about our personal comfort. This isn't about a building. It isn't about how many people gather on a Sunday. It's about Jesus and his kingdom. What is this about again? What is following Jesus ultimately about? It's about Jesus, who he is and what he's done and what he's established, his kingdom. 
And sometimes it feels like we're building our own little kingdoms here, doesn't it? It, it can feel that way to me. Now, whether that's our private lives, we're trying to build something up, or whether that be the church. So how do we push against that? I want to push against it. We could pray this prayer, recenter me on what matters most. Recenter me, Jesus, on your kingdom. Give me a passion for your kingdom, the reality of your good and loving rule and the freedom that you have brought us. This is about who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. And so Paul took his time to help those who were packed in his apartment to see this, to see Jesus for who he is. Will we? Will we do that with others? Do we do that? I know you do. I know so many do. Will we um, continue to encourage each other on in that? It's going to require some intentionality on our part. It's going to require us becoming increasingly familiar with the story of the Bible. But that's okay. It doesn't mean that we have to have just this um, understanding of every book at the same level here. But we know enough about this story to be able to hold it up high and be able to take people by the hand and point them to the hero of the story. Are we doing that? It's really fun to do that. Are we testifying to the kingdom of God? Are we trying to convince others about Jesus? Now, we might say, oh, wait a minute. I don't know if I should do that. That seems offensive to try to convince somebody about Jesus, to try to persuade others about Jesus. Are we giving others what they need to make a, a clear decision about who Jesus is and what he's done? Are we willing to come alongside others and convince them about the beauty of who Jesus is and the life that is found in him, the purpose and the joy and the hope that is found in him? And so what if we just resolve to push through the fear and the intimidation and the rejection that will come our way when we begin to do this? So we live in a culture that is constantly pushing an agenda, right? Trying to convince us of things, including the idea if we try to convince someone of something that it's not loving. But if I wholeheartedly embrace Jesus as Savior and I don't try to convince others, then that is unloving. If I believe Jesus is actually life and in him there is purpose and joy and salvation, if, if, if I don't share that reality with others, it's unloving. At the very least, it's inconsistent with what Jesus himself did. He invited people in. Repent and believe. The good news, that's what he said. Second, who is this for? All right, let's read verse 24 again. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Interesting. Some believed Paul, others didn't. I don't know, I find this strange encouragement, this strange comfort from verses like this, like, all right, it's, it happened to Paul. It's okay if it happens to us. If, if some embrace Jesus, wow, that's what we're praying for. If others don't and they disbelieve, it's okay. It doesn't mean we've failed. It just means uh, that they've, they've not embraced the truth of Jesus. They've, they've stiff-armed uh, the truth of the gospel, but we've been faithful. You see, success 
is about being faithful to the call. That's what success looks like. Faithful to this message. Faithful to live out our lives as, as within the, in the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 25, then, this debate breaks out between those who are convinced that Jesus is Messiah and those who are not convinced. And then Paul quotes this pronouncement of judgment that's found in Isaiah that sends everyone home. I guess if you want everyone to leave after a long day, uh, you just read a pronouncement of judgment and you just, everyone scatters. That's what happened. And he's, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. This is a, a pronouncement of judgment on Israel. And it's given by God uh, to Isaiah, and Isaiah is to carry this message with him. And this is the, Isaiah 6 is where Isaiah encounters the holiness of God. He, he has this vision of God in the temple, and it, he, he realizes he is a man of unclean lips, and, and the Lord purifies him and, 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 and atones his sin. And then he says, who will go? Who will go and proclaim this message? And Isaiah's like, I'll do it. And then God gives him this message, and it's a message of judgment. A message of judgment. And it says here that the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the, the prophet. So we need to really just slow down a little bit. And when we read something like this, we need to see first that this, the word of God is, is it's, it's God-breathed. This is speaking of the inspiration of Scripture. It says the Holy Spirit was right in saying. Well, I thought this was Isaiah the prophet. This is God the Holy Spirit. So through Isaiah the prophet, the Spirit of God said to your fathers. This is a prophetic word involving what they hear, what they see, what they feel. This is a prophetic word about a stubborn refusal to accept the Lord's message. Let's, let's read it again. Verse 26. Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart in turn, and I would heal them. This is about a stubborn refusal to accept the Lord's message. And here Paul is saying, just as your fathers stubbornly refused to accept the word of the Lord, so you too are closing your ears and your eyes and your heart to this message. Watch out. So it's a, a prophetic warning. In verse 27, it says, for this people's heart has grown dull, literally heavy or fat, numb, callous. It's, it's not a good thing. The heart is the seat of a person's affections. It's the place of decision-making, of thinking, of willing, of deciding. And here he's saying there is this stubborn refusal on the Jews' part, not all Jews, but on these particular ones who have just said no to this message, no to the truth of who Jesus is. It's a reminder, though, that there's been this open door made for non-Jews, for Gentiles. He says the message is, is actually for the nations, is what he's saying. This salvation of God, this is how he refers to the preaching of the kingdom, the truth about Jesus, the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, to the nations, and he says they will listen. And this word listen, it means they will hear it and obey. They'll respond. They'll acknowledge. They will listen. Who is this message for? Anyone who will listen. Who is this message for? Anyone who will hear it and obey it. 
hey, if you play guitar, you will eventually form calluses on your fingers so that when you're pushing against the guitar strings, it doesn't hurt. But when you first start and you just push against those strings, it hurts like crazy, like crazy. I mean, just you're like, oh my goodness, my fingers are falling off. Um, But after a while, you don't even think about it. Now, if my wife looks down at my, my fingertips since I've been playing guitar for like 25 years, she's just like, that is disgusting. Um, keep those away from me. Um, but that's because they have formed calluses, and I'm proud of them. I, I, I don't cringe. It doesn't hurt when I play guitar, ever. But here's, here's what happens when you continue to push against the word of the Lord, which at first might hurt, and you might wince, and you might think, I don't like what I'm hearing because it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring change. I, I think I'm uncomfortable with what he's calling me to, but after a while, if you continue to push and push and push against the word of the Lord, and if you push back conviction, which I believe has a shelf life, eventually you become callous. You become numb. And so there is sober judgment and warning in Paul's words And I think we could receive it this way. Just don't continue in unbelief. Do not continue. Don't remain in a state of stubborn refusal. Because there could come a point in time when you become so numb, so callous, that you completely forfeit what the Lord has for you. And you might say, listen, Darren, I don't feel a thing. I've been numb for some time. I hear your words, but I've stopped caring. I once cared, but I really don't anymore, if I was honest with you. Maybe that's where you are this morning, but you're here, and you're hearing my words. And more importantly, you're hearing the words of Scripture. And so my encouragement, my challenge to you, if you're in that place of feeling numb, of feeling callous, of feeling like, "Ah, I don't feel anything right now, please don't walk away. Please humble yourself here today, now, get honest with God about uh, the state of your heart because I believe you are at a crossroads of repent or become numb and maybe this callousness would set in and just continue to pull you away from the things of the Lord. Please don't allow it to. Please look to the Lord even today and say, soften my heart. Yes, I I got a lot of questions. Yes, I, I, I don't feel right now what I think I should be feeling, but I want to. I want to show you here in Acts chapter 13, as Paul was preaching here, verse 32, listen to what he says. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And then look with me in verse 38 of that same chapter. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. But be careful, beware. Therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells you. He's saying... (laughs) There is forgiveness. It's held out in Jesus. But be careful that you don't scoff at this message. Be careful that you don't think it's, it's not for you. It's for you. You could pray this prayer maybe. Open my ears. Open my eyes. And soften my heart. 
It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness that leads us to a place of owning up to our brokenness and our sin and admitting our need for him. It's God's kindness that leads us to repent, to own up to the wrong we've been saying yes to, the sin that we've been living in, and acknowledge our desperate need for forgiveness. And he gives it. He brings it. You're not too far gone. You are not too far gone. Who is this for? It's for anyone who will listen. Who is this for? It's for you. It's for you. Finally, what are we supposed to do about it? Verse 30. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This feels like an abrupt ending. I mean, just right there. The credits start to roll. The lights go out. What's going on here? What happened to Paul? You can't just leave us here. Truth is, I love abrupt endings to movies and to books where you're just, your mind is filled with all kinds of questions about the main character, like what's going to happen next? I love that. But it's as if Luke is saying, you're asking about Paul, you're asking about the, the wrong thing. That's not what's most important here. And if we just slow down and think about what's going on in this last scene, we realize, oh, oh, Paul, oh, he's in Roman custody. Oh, he's under house arrest in Rome. He's been beaten. He's been imprisoned. He's been shipwrecked and misunderstood. He's been rejected. And here he is with all boldness and without any hindrance. No hindrance. He's chained to a soldier. He's under house arrest. Oh, but there are no obstacles to the good news of God's love in Christ Jesus, at least no real ones. This is a perceived hindrance. It's a perceived obstacle, but actually we realize now that nothing could really get in the way of what God is doing through the proclamation of his son. No matter how tension-filled or how restricted life is, perspective is being given here. Oh, we need this perspective. No matter how tension-filled our lives are and no matter how restricted they become, there is nothing Nothing that stands as a true obstacle to the proclamation of Jesus. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, this is Paul's last letter. 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter, and it's actually believed that he was released from this house arrest. He was free for some time, but then under Emperor Nero and all the craze of Nero and the fires of Rome, he was eventually arrested again, imprisoned again, and he penned 2 Timothy in his final imprisonment before he was executed. And this is what he wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. This is what he told Timothy, the pastor. This is what it's all about, Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ, the king, risen from the dead. It's the reason why I'm bound in chains, but also remember this, Timothy, the word of God is not bound. I'm bound, but the word of God is not bound. And that's the final summary. That's the vibe. That's, that's what we, we see here at the end of Acts. He's proclaiming the truth of who Jesus is with all boldness, without hindrance. And he's saying this message about Jesus is triumphant over every power. It's unstoppable. And the truth is, church, it has reached us, Gentiles, the nations, St. Pete, 2021. 
And so the ending of Acts, it doesn't really feel like a real ending because it's not. It's not. So we, we look at this and we think, what am I supposed to, to do about it? And so I want us to imagine that we're watching a drama, a play on stage, and the final scene has just happened, and the lights go, go out. They've just gone out. But actually, instead of those lights going out, they, they come right back on, and then the actors look out at us, and they say, okay, it's your turn now. It's your turn now. Come on. You were never meant to be a mere spectator. You're a participant now. Come on. Get up here. You're next. So local church, we get to welcome all who would come to us. We get to testify to the kingdom of God. We get to teach about Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. And so what we see here is that the story is ours to pick up and carry. It isn't the end. The book of Acts begins with Jesus personally empowering and commissioning his followers, and now it ends with this open door for that work to continue through our lives. The Spirit is still at work. The Spirit still empowers for the sake of mission, for the sake of witness and testimony to Jesus. And it's unstoppable. And so we get to just pause as we close, as we end this book, and we can ask the Lord to please, please recenter us on what matters most and please remind us that we were never meant to be mere spectators of this story, that this story is ours to pick up and carry. It ends on this beautiful triumphant note, right? It's triumphant. It's victorious. The good news of Jesus is unstoppable. And so we should end with like a smile on our face saying, oh yeah. He's chained, but the word of God isn't chained. He's chained. He's in his apartment, but all who come to him get to hear about the kingdom and about Jesus with boldness and without hindrance. So here we are. The lights haven't gone out because they weren't meant to, not yet. And it's our turn now. What a privilege. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for the privilege it is to be, to be called by you, empowered by your spirit, to be able to hold high the truth of who you are in Christ Jesus. Would you embolden us? Would you remind us that we were never meant to be mere spectators of this story? Would you just faithfully remind us what this is all about, that this is about the proclamation of the kingdom of God, your kingdom, the proclamation of your son and the freedom and the forgiveness and the rest and the hope and the purpose and the life and the joy that is found in him. Would you remind us that that's what this is about? And would you remind us, Lord, that we, we were never meant to be, to be quiet about that message. But we were never meant to be spectators of that message. But that, Lord, you've called us to carry that message boldly here and now where we are. Help us to do that faithfully. Help us to evaluate our lives even now. How are we living? Lord, help us to be faithful to speak even when it feels awkward. 
and it's difficult and we're afraid of rejection. Help us, Lord, to trust you. Your word and the truth of your love in Jesus is unstoppable and there is no calloused heart that could get in the way or stop it. There is no pandemic that can stop it. There is no nation. There is no belief system that can stop it. There is no imprisonment or persecution that can stop it. We thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.